Thank you, Don, for reading, and it's always good to sing with you and hear the praises of God's people. <clears throat> In fact, that is the, the sacrifice that God accepts. It's the sacrifice of praise, sacrifice of thanksgiving from a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. And, uh, and it is, I trust that that is the hearts that we've brought as we've sung these songs this morning. Well, throughout the New Testament, Christians, we, are continually exhorted to serve one another, aren't we? We see that in many of the letters in some form or another. We are called to serve others and, and to put others before ourselves. We aren't to be self-serving, if you will. And several passages make this evident. I think of Galatians 5.13, where the Apostle Paul reminds the Galatians not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That is, don't use your freedom in Christ to serve yourself, but through love, serve one another. Or Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. One other one I want to bring to your attention is in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter writes to the churches, and he, he says, as each has received a gift, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves, here it is again, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now this is just a sampling of, of, of probably myriads of scriptures that we could draw from that are calling us to serve one another. However, it's one thing to hear these exhortations and to say, yeah, that's a good thing. I should do that. I should serve people. I think most People, even in the world, would say, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I think that's a, a good principle to live by. So it's one thing to kind of aff affirm that that's a, a good thing to do. It's quite another thing to say, I long to serve people. It's one thing to say, yeah, I think serving people is good. It's another thing to say, I love to serve others. The question for us is, where does the motivation to serve others come from? And scripture constantly is calling us to it. And maybe as I was reading those things, you were, you were thinking of times you've maybe this morning been really selfish. And you're like, no. You're like, how do, how do I change? How does, how does my heart go from being a selfish heart to being a selfless heart? Where does this motivation for change come from? Or even to take it just a step further, where's the motivation to serve like this when I will get no recognition for it? Where's the motivation? In other words, what I want to put before us is how do we cultivate a genuine love and concern for others, considering them genuinely more important than ourselves? so that we'll serve them. How, how do we get to that place? Well, 
This morning, as we come to the the text that Don read for us in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus doesn't come and give us three tips for serving. Here's three practical ways if you just want to be a great servant in the church, I've got them for you. Here's three takeaways for your life. It's not what he does, does he? In fact, he never does that. Never do you find here's three takeaways for how you can be a better whatever. You never find that. No, Jesus goes for something far more deeper and far more lasting and far more profound. He goes after your heart. He goes after your motivation. Jesus shows us here that the motivation, or or, as I've entitled the sermon, the ambition. The ambition to serve is found in the cross. That's your takeaway. The ambition to serve others, to count others as more important than yourself, is found in the cross. Now, some of you are like, okay, okay, this is not going to be very helpful or practical to me today. And I would beg to differ. Often, I think, we think of the cross merely in terms of, well, that's what Jesus did for me to forgive me of my sins, but it really has no practical impact or significant for my daily walk as a Christian. I think if, if, if we were to ask, maybe all of us would say, how does the cross today impact your life? I think we may struggle to give a real answer. And I think that's part of the problem. And I think that's why Jesus is is calling us to to think about the cross, maybe in new lenses for us. Cross is not merely, though it is primarily, I would say, the means by which we are forgiven. It is. But it is also central to how we are to walk with Christ on a daily basis. This is why Jesus has been pressing in the disciples' lives. If anyone wishes to follow me, if any of you want to be my disciple, what does he say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross. He says following me is cross-bearing. He likens the Christian life to crucifixion. And he wants us to understand that if you're going to live for me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to understand the cross. And so, really, Christians have understood the Christian life is, is following Jesus to the cross. It's a dying that we may find life. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. If anyone wishes to save his life, guess what? You're going to lose it. But the one who loses his life for my sake will, what? He will find it. See, the Christian life is about dying daily to what? To your sinful and evil desires. Daily battle. Hourly battle. Constant minutes. Always battling against the passions of the flesh and evil desires and evil thoughts that arise from where? Your heart. And so the Christian life is about understanding the cross and resurrection in a way that you will die daily to your evil desires and be raised to newness of life through faith in Christ. Every day, I'm dying to self, placing my faith in Christ, walking in newness by the Spirit. That's what 
the Christian life in principle is. So it's this way of thinking that Jesus has really been pressing upon us and, 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 and expresses itself in tangible ways. So, for instance, in Matthew 18, when Jesus says, Woe to the one by whom temptations come. And he, and he talks about the danger of sin entering your life. Well, how do you fight against that? It's the cross. Die daily to your sins. Repent. Don't, don't look to yourself. Look to Christ. He goes on, he says, well, what do you do when someone sins against you? You absorb their sin. Has Jesus absorbed your sin on the cross? And guess what? You'll experience the power of restoration. You see how the cross is involved here. Oh, you don't get to insist on your own rights and your own preferences and make, use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh. Actually, you die to yourself, to your preferences, to your rights, everything. It's, it's the end of you. That's how you're going to resolve conflict. Not only that, Matthew 17, Jesus talks about how to lay down your rights not to give an offense to those who don't know Christ. Why would you do that? Only if you understand the cross. Only if you understand the cross would you ever not insist upon your own rights in society because you would rather them come to faith in Christ than to be persuaded of your opinions. Only when you understand the cross. And now as we come to chapter 20, it's the cross that's forefront. And we're going to see that the cross enables us to selflessly serve others. Because it's how Christ selflessly served us, right? Look, look at the end of our passage. Verse 26 in the middle of it. Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you, must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus begins this passage on the cross, and he ends the passage on the cross, because the cross is central. And so it's, this is my prayer for us. This is my prayer for my own life. This is my prayer as we continue to journey in this, this life until Christ returns or we go to the grave. That as Jesus sets our minds on the cross, that our lives would be shaped more and more around the cross and resurrection. We'll be thoroughly shaped by it in such a way that it would produce in us new ambitions new motivations, new desires to serve one another rather than serve ourselves. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for us. And this ambition to serve is only going to be cultivated when we first of all see the priority of the cross. We must see the priority of the cross. Jesus does not want his people to lose sight of the cross. When we come to verse 17, Jesus takes his disciples aside and he begins to tell them about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, that he's going to go, be handed over, be killed, crucified, and he's going to die. This is the third time that Jesus has told the disciples that this is going to happen. And what's interesting is that on each occasion that Jesus introduces the cross, 
his path, his goal, his aim, the priority of his mission, each time it comes on the heels of him having also told them about the glories of the kingdom. I want you just to see this. Go, go to chapter 16. This is the first one. This is, this is when Peter confesses that, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus says, right on. And, and says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And guess what? Peter, I'm going to use you as the leader in this church, and I'm going to build a, a new people upon this profession of faith. And guess what? The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. I mean, these are just battle-charging terms, right? Yes! We're going to go. We're going to storm the gates of hell. And then Jesus, from that point, verse 21 began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Whoa, whoa, that's like a 180. I thought we were going to win, Jesus. And so Peter, what does he do? He resists the plan. He says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. The second instance comes right after the transfiguration. That's in chapter 17. If you were with us, you know that transfiguration, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and, and, and he reveals his divine glory, the glory which he's going to come when, when he sits upon his throne, and he, he brings his kingdom from heaven down to earth, and, and every knee bows, and every tongue confesses that he is the Christ. And, and this is this glorious moment. Oh, Jesus when everybody sees who you are, we are going to win, right? Verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And what's the disciples' response? They were greatly distressed. No, that's not the plan. It's not how we want this to go. Why are you talking like this? And so now we come to our passage. And our passage is on the heels of Jesus talking about heaven, right? At the end of, uh, of chapter 19, Jesus has told the apostles, hey, guess what? You who have left everything and you have followed me, I'm going to put you on 12 thrones. You're going you're gonna to rule the kingdom with me. I mean, that's pretty good news. Great. And guess what? Anybody who's left lands, family, riches, anything, I'm going to reimburse them a hundredfold in the kingdom to come. Yes. And Jesus even begins to tell them through a parable about how everyone is going to receive eternal life. And so they begin to go, verse 17, up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside on the way and he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Why does Jesus keep repeating himself? Even as, as a preacher who has to preach week in, week out, going through this, hey, Jesus, you've told me now three times that little paragraph, Okay. I, I can't just keep saying the same things. And he's saying, yeah, keep saying the same things. In fact, each one kind of expands just a little bit more, giving us more information. 
It's like he's leading us along and he's redirecting our thoughts around the cross, right? Why does Jesus keep pressing the issue of the cross and his death and resurrection? Because it's central to God's kingdom purposes. And you and I are prone to forget it, and not only to forget it, but to resist it. Just like the disciples. No, no, I'm not, that's not, that's not the plan for my life, Jesus. Yes, it is. If you're following me, it's the road to the cross. Yes, Jesus is the Son of Man who's going to come in glory. And we're going to share in that glory. That's glorious news, isn't it? But what we're going to learn here is that that glory comes through death and resurrection. That's the road. The cross is Jesus' priority. It's his divine mission that is leading him to Jerusalem, to his condemnation. But each time, what does he say? And he will be raised. Exaltation, right? He's showing us what his life is going to be, and if we follow him, what our life is going to be. And so just as the cross is the key to understanding Jesus' mission on earth and his first coming, it is also the key to understanding God's purpose and mission in our life. The cross is. Death and resurrection. The cross is the means by which God's salvation is going to be accomplished and has been accomplished for his people. And it is the means by which he's going to transform his people's hearts so that they will love like their Savior loves. And so for this reason, we must not lose sight of the cross. It must be our priority because it is God's priority. And it produces in us an ambition to serve others. And so this leads us to our second point. Such an ambition to serve is only going to come when we understand the power of the cross. It's God's priority, but there's power in the cross. And this is what Jesus wants us to see here in verse 20, where we begin to get the heart of the matter of this kind of section. And we see the, the apostles or the disciples' amnesia to the cross, right? Amnesia to really everything that Jesus has been teaching this for several weeks now. But it also recognizes that we are just like them. We suffer from the same amnesia, don't we? We forget God's purposes. And so the mother of James and John Come, that's the sons of Zebedee are, are James and John. And their mother comes up to Jesus. And, and, and this reminds us that though Jesus is with his 12 disciples going to Jerusalem, there, there's crowds following him. Family members, some of them haven't had to leave their family because their family wants to follow Jesus. There's good news here. But the mother of James and John comes and, and kneels before Jesus and, 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 and begins to say, Jesus, Jesus, I, ha I have something to ask you. I really need to know if you can do something for me. And Jesus says, okay, what is it that you want? And then she begins to say, you know, you know when you were talking to the boys and you told them that they were all going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, here's, here's what I want to ask. Could, could you make sure my boys, James and John, one's on your right side and one's on your left? Could you make sure that they are your go-to guys? Because, you know, we've already seen Peter. He's really messing things up. And I really think my boys would be a better option. 
What is, what is she asking for? Prominence for her sons, right? Which really is her sons. Mommy, I've, I've been putting myself out there. All right, I'm just going to have a talk with him, you know? Mommy's on the way, boys. This is kind of comical, right? I think of, <laughs> I, lo- I love the show Everybody Loves Raymond. I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's, a, there's an episode where Robert is interviewing for the FBI. I don't know. And he's sitting there, he's all excited, and, and, and the, the agent interviewing in the middle of the interview gets this fax. <laughs> and he reads the fax, and he looks up at Robert and says, are, are you serious? And Robert's like, what? <laughs> I've got a letter of recommendation from your mother. <laughs> <laughs> This is like that. <laughs> are, are you serious? <laughs> but this comical incident, right, it, it shows the ridiculous nature of our selfishness, doesn't it? And our pride. Though Christ, what has he done for us? He's redeemed us, hasn't he? He's not only redeemed us, but he's adopted you and I as his sons and daughters. And not only that, he's made us co-heirs with him. In his kingdom. Yet we can so easily become consumed with, can I get a little bit more than everybody else? Could I be a little bit more special? It's like a child coming to their parents and saying, yeah, yeah, can I be your favorite? It doesn't really work yet. That's what it's like when we cultivate ambitions for prominence and status over our fellow brothers and sisters. Maybe we don't think of it quite that directly, but it happens when there's jealousy and envy. Why why does that person get that role and I don't? You know what? I'm serving over here. No one thanked me before the congregation. Or you know what? I've been here longer than that person. How did they get to that place of leadership and I'm still here? And we begin to do exactly what Peter, James, and John have done. And Jesus responds to the request of James and John in verse 22. And he's talking, we know he's talking to now James and John because he starts using the, the third plural. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you, you guys, plural, able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And, and they respond, We are able, right? What's Jesus getting at? That that imagery of cup is used throughout the the scriptures. And it it speaks sometimes of the cup of God's wrath. Sometimes it's it's just the cup of suffering. It's interesting. We today will drink the cup together of Christ's death at the Lord's table. Well, here it's, it's... the cup of suffering, and, and yes, the cup of wrath upon Jesus, and they have no idea what they're asking about. Their request for recognition, can I sit in those seats of honor, doesn't understand the power of the cross. That's what's really going on. They don't get the cross. They're not even thinking about the cross. And, and more specifically, they don't understand the cross comes before glory specifically. They don't really want to be on the right and left of Jesus. 
You know who is at the right and left of Jesus? The four glory? The two thieves at Golgotha. You, you want the glory. You want to be as close to me as possible. Yeah, I don't think you know what you're asking for. Because I'm going to be crucified and I don't think you want to be on my left side or my right. You don't know what you're asking. You don't realize that the glory that is mine and the path of exaltation that I am on goes through the cross and crucifixion and condemnation. You're not interested in that. See, they're like Peter in this instance. When they say, we're able. Later, Peter, you know, Jesus is going to say, all of you are going to deny me. And Peter's like, nope, not me. I will never deny you. Well, guess what, Peter? You'll actually do it three times. I'll never die. I'll die with you. And they all say the same. Well, it's kind of the same incidents. Yes, we're able to drink the cup that you're going to drink. Jesus, what are you talking about? They have no idea what they're talking about. And like Peter and the other disciples, what's going to happen when the chief priests and the scribes come with their torches? They all run. They want the glory, they want the crown, but they don't want the suffering. They don't want the cross. They think the power is in status, title, self-importance. But Jesus says, you guys have it backwards. My glory, my exaltation comes through suffering and death. And yet he says something very interesting in verse 23. He says, you will drink my cup. You will drink my cup. Obviously, this isn't the same cup of suffering that he's going to, but they, they will suffer. That's what he's saying. And you will do it in my name. He, he elsewhere says, you know, the world's going to hate you. But just know the reason they hate you is because they hated me first. If you're following me, what happens to me in some way is going to happen to you. That's what he's saying here. And what happened to James and John? We know in the book of Acts that James, he actually does rise to great prominence. He becomes the leader in the church in Jerusalem. And guess what? He's martyred. He's killed for it. And John... Seems that he lasts the longest of all the apostles, but he ends up on an island in isolation all by himself to die. These men would be greatly used, have great prominence among the people of God, but in the world, they'll be nobodies. They too will suffer and die. See, those who are closest to Jesus and walking in his footsteps, it's the path of suffering as you serve others. See, when you understand the power of the cross is what? Resurrection. You'll be willing to give your life, won't you? You'll, you'll be willing to deny yourself, deny your rights in order to serve Christ and his church because you know the power is in resurrection. And so you can embrace your weaknesses because you know his power is made perfect in your weakness, as Paul says elsewhere. For when we are weak, he is strong. And so all the more I'll boast in my weaknesses 
How do the apostles say these crazy things? Because they understand the power of the cross. And their lives are being shaped by it. It's interesting that Jesus deflects their request at the end of verse 23. He says, besides. This is for those, the, the request you've made to sit at my right and left, is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Basically, Jesus says, what you're asking is the Father's business. And what's he getting at? He says, how you're going to be used and where the Lord's going to put you is already is in his hand and his sovereign purposes. And brothers and sisters, there's great freedom here. Great freedom, especially when we, our expectations in life, our expectations in the church, our expectations for how we're being used aren't met. What a place to find rest. Because guess what? You can trust that you can serve faithfully wherever you are, and the Father knows. And he will put you wherever he wants you. There's a sense in which that's freeing. You don't have to worry about it. And you can look at that wherever you are, and however way you serve. And, and yes, this, you know, there's a lot that could be said here on how God works even through our own desires. But sometimes... We have a longing to do something that the Lord says no. And we can find rest if we understand. Hey, die to self. That's what you're calling me to. That's the will of God for my life. And there's power in that. And such an ambition to serve comes from seeing the cross as the priority, comes seeing and understanding the power of the cross, but also thirdly, it entails knowing the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross. After this request is made, what happens? Well, the rest of the disciples, the other ten, hear this, and they're ticked. Hey, I thought we had an agreement. We were a team. You guys went around us, and you tried to get your mom to get you a special place in the, in the kingdom. And they were indignant, the text says, right? They were ticked. They were mad at the two brothers. Jesus quickly rebukes them. He says, come here. Ever, you all come here, sit down. He says, this is how the pagans act. Fighting, jealousy, trying to elbow your way and get above people, trying to jockey for position, always looking out for yourself. That's how unbelievers do this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over the people. And they're great ones, they're number one ones, the, the, the people of prominence. They exercise authority, they, they dominate people. Everybody's here to serve them, and that's how you're acting. And he says this, it shall not be so among you. Jesus is saying here, not like, hey, you know, I really hope it doesn't. You all wouldn't act like that. No, he's telling them. It will not be so with you. My disciples will not be like this. They will be servants. They will be servants. That's why when we're prideful, the Lord in his loving kindness smacks us down. 
because you will not be like this. And the fool is the only one who despises the discipline of the Lord. My disciples will not be like that. And he reiterates the principle of the whole passage. It all comes down here to verse 26. But whoever would be great among you, imagine him talking to them. He's talking to you right now. You want to be great? You want to be first here in this room? The great ones are the ones who serve you. Those are the greatest here. And the the ones of most prominence are the ones who are your slave. He turns everything upside down, doesn't he? And Jesus concludes by returning where he started. And this is so even with me. He's the greatest in the friends, right? He's come to be their servant. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to what? Be served to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ's work on the cross was first and foremost a redemptive act, wasn't it? That's the purpose, right? I came to redeem you. That's the power. That's the purpose here. Jesus is the suffering servant who we read in Isaiah 53 who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, to make many accounted as righteous. In other words, on the cross, Jesus served you and me by taking our sins and our judgment so that he may give us his righteousness in life. He gave us everything. This was the great achievement of the cross. His sacrificial service produced life in us. But Jesus also shows us a secondary purpose to the cross. And the cross is an example for us to follow, isn't it? That's what he's saying. Look to the cross. They don't know yet what all this entails, but we can now look back and, oh, I've left for you an example to follow. He even teaches them this when he washes their feet. The night before he is betrayed and delivered over and condemned and crucified and dies. Though he's the king of the universe, get this. Even he did not come to be served. But what happened? Christ died, we go back. He's delivered to the chief priests and scribes. He's condemned to death. He's delivered over to the Gentiles. Why? To be mocked and flogged and crucified. Who wants to sign up for that? But it's the last phrase that we want, right? On the third day, he rose again. What is Jesus teaching us? Purpose of the cross is him redemptively rescuing us, but also giving us an example, a pattern, a way of living. Jesus shows us that the way up is down. Greatness and honor are found in servitude and counting others as more important than ourselves. And guess what? You'll be exalted on the last day. You'll be exalted, just as Christ was exalted and given the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We'll be exalted 
I don't know where we'll be. Maybe some of us will be on the right hand or the left, but we'll be with him. An ambition to serve like this can only be cultivated when we see the priority of the cross, can't you see, right? When we understand the power of the cross and know the purpose of the cross. And so, brothers and sisters, meditate on the cross. Every battle, every struggle that's coming, put it through the lens of the cross. And guess what? You'll begin to develop the mind of Christ. And you'll be conformed to his image from one degree of glory to the next. And you too will lay down your life, your rights to serve others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we do come to you and, and Lord, we confess that so often we are, we are just like the disciples with spiritual amnesia. We forget the cross, we forget its priority, we, we forget its power, we forget its purpose. And like sheep, each one of us goes astray. And so we come back to you, we come back to the cross, we, we come back to the promises of the gospel in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us today that we would leave here saying, Lord, I want my life shaped by the cross. That we would pray that prayer, that we would meditate upon that truth. And Lord, that you would work the power of the cross in us. And though we die daily, we would see the power of resurrection daily as you carry us through, as we walk faithfully with Jesus. Would you do that? Would you do that in us individually? Would you do that collectively in us as a church? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.